You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. is at work in a particular ministry, Satan always opposes the ministry. He always comes up and tries to silence the witness. That goes for your household. When you're trying to be a witness in your household, God has blessed you. God has shown you his love. You want to demonstrate that love in the household. Satan always comes in the midst of it and tries to silence the witness. Satan knows what the witness will do. The witness will change hearts. The witness will draw people to Jesus Christ. Satan doesn't want that. We have an enemy. Satan always opposes God. In today's message from Pastor Dave, he teaches that Satan seeks to silence the Lord's witness. A witness will change a person's heart and lead others to Christ. You need to remember that you have an enemy that seeks to silence you. Stand firm and stay strengthened in the Lord. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 4. As he continues his message, the religious leaders respond. The other sect, as we said, they're known as the Sadducees. They were elitists. They were better than anybody else. They were aristocrats. There was a caste system, and they wanted to keep the caste system the way it was. The priest on top and everybody else down below. When Jesus told the disciples not to lord it over them, he was talking about the Sadducees who knew that they had a high position, and they used it to rule with great command and great authority. They rejected the idea of an oral law and said, They insisted upon a literal interpretation of the written law, which makes them what? Legalists. They were legalists. They constantly didn't believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in a resurrection because it wasn't mentioned in the Torah. They didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in angels. Their main focus of the Sadducee life were the rituals associated with the temple, these written laws that Moses laid down in Exodus. The Sadducees disappeared, interesting enough, in 70 A.D., after the destruction of the second temple. None of the writings of the Sadducees ever survived. So we know little about them when it comes to what they were against the Pharisees and their opponents. We do know, however, that these two parties joined to create one great big ruling council. The name of this ruling council we will study in a few weeks was called the Sanhedrin. It was called the Sanhedrin. You've probably heard of it before. There were 70 of them. And the the Sadducees outnumbered the Pharisees because of their nobility. The Pharisees were kind of like a blue-collar guys, where the Sadducees were kind of the elitists. They were the aristocrats. It's interesting when you start looking at chapter 3, and you see the Lord working a great miracle with the two apostles, through the two apostles. You see a lame man healed. He's been lame since birth, but he receives strength in his legs, and he walks, and he praises God. The man is completely restored by God. And you would think that this would be looked upon as a great thing, a wonderful restoration. You would think that this would be good, but the rulers didn't see it that way. They questioned the healing. They questioned how he was healed. They became jealous and they became fearful. They viewed what happened as a front against their religion. These religious men did not want to give up control over the people and they didn't want to give up their traditions. It's another interesting point worth noting is you see here 
in this passage in verses 1 through 4 the results of preaching the gospel. And there are two of them. You see the results right here. First of all, you have in verse 4, more Jews believe the word of God. So when you preach the gospel, one of the results of preaching the gospel is going to be people receiving the gospel and being converted and coming into the kingdom of God. They go from 3,000 to almost 5,000. They increase. Secondly, we see the religious leaders of the nation rejecting the message and try to silence the apostles. Whenever the gospel is preached, you can expect success and you can expect opposition. Whenever the gospel is preached, you can expect those two things, success and opposition. This is the beginning of the persecution which Jesus talked about and warned his followers in Matthew 10, 17 through 18, in Luke 21, 12 through 15, and in John 15, 18 through 16, 4. Jesus warns his followers that this persecution is going to come. This is the beginning of that persecution. It was the Sadducees who were responsible for persecuting the church. They were the ones mainly responsible for the persecution of the early church. This shouldn't surprise us. This should not be something like you're going, oh, I'm surprised at that. Wherever God blesses, Satan always shows opposition to the work. Satan is always there when God blesses you, when things are going well, when the Lord is at work in our hearts, when the Lord is at work in our church, when the Lord is at work in a particular ministry. Satan always opposes the ministry. He always comes up and tries to silence the witness. That goes for your household. When you're trying to be a witness in your household, God has blessed you. God has shown you his love. You want to demonstrate that love in the household. Satan always comes in the midst of it and tries to silence the witness. Satan knows what the witness will do. The witness will change hearts. The witness will draw people to Jesus Christ. Satan doesn't want that. We have an enemy. The same crowd that opposed Jesus' ministry now opposes the apostles. The religious people will also oppose the work of the Lord that is being done in you. Notice I said religious people. We should expect it. We shouldn't be surprised at it. But we shouldn't let it stop us. The important thing is not to be comfortable. The important thing is the name of Jesus Christ be glorified in whatever we do, whatever we say, whatever we act, that the name of Jesus be glorified in our lives and that people would see him. We pray. It's great prayer. We have some great prayer time from about 9.30 to about 10 every Sunday. We have some great prayer time. And one of the magnificent prayers prayed today, in fact, I think Dane prayed it, was that we would decrease and he would increase. What a wonderful prayer that is in our private lives, that we would decrease and Christ would increase. Why? So people would see Christ. You know, I really don't want you to see me. Oh, my flesh wants you to see me and and think that. But my spirit says, I want you to see Christ. I want you to see Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what we want you to see. That's why we make such pains in making this a quiet environment, a, a place where we can concentrate on the word of God without distraction. That's why we take so much time and so much to this, so that you would see Christ in the midst of this. So you wouldn't be bothered by distractions that would be pulling you away from the message that God wants to give you. We take great pains to make it that way. It's difficult. But we want God to be glorified in our lives. We want the Lord to be glorified in our worship and in what we do here. It's not about me. It's not about these guys who play worship or sing. It's about Jesus Christ and him glorified. That's the thing that we need to realize in our lives. We said this before. Sometimes it's hard to realize that it's just not about us anymore not about us. Sadducees laid hold of Peter and John because they were greatly disturbed over the teaching. Look at verse 2. Being greatly disturbed that they taught people and preached in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Note that the Sadducees had a leading role in the incarceration of Peter and John. 
See, the Pharisees opposed Jesus for religious reasons, although they were very misguided. The Sadducees' opposition came from political motivations. Political motivations. Yes, they didn't believe in the resurrection, but they also thought that this was the end of their nobility. They thought that this was the end of the caste system, and they were no longer going to be the top dogs, if you will. The Sadducees were very, very involved in the persecution of the church, the new church. They saw this as a threat to their political structure. They became constant enemies. We're going to see later on in the book of Acts, like I said, that the persecution was led largely by the Sadducees. Why? They were materialistic. The Sadducees was materialistic. What did Jesus preach? Sell all you have and give to the poor. What? I thought the person who has the most toys at the end wins. No, sell all you have and give to the poor. They were materialistic. They were rationalistic of their day. They didn't believe in the supernatural. They denied spirits. They denied angels. And above all, they denied the resurrection. You can read about that in Mark 12, 18. The apostles boldly preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter, in two sermons, preached the resurrection of Jesus. Preached that Jesus was still alive. Now I know why he always sits in the front seat. Spit. (laughs) Unfortunately to the Sadducees, the Messiah was just an ideal. It was a process that would happen over age. It wasn't a person, and it wasn't something that was going to happen. It wasn't a person who was going to come back. Listen to what Josephus, Josephus is a well-known Jewish historian, says about the Sadducees. Listen to this. The Sadducees created priestly nobility. They were educated and wealthy elite, but they're also known to be without scruples, who would sell their mothers to stay in power. Though they were in the minority, they controlled the Jewish political and religious life. They were legalist, evil, control freaks, and they did not want anyone rocking their boat. I'm sure you get a real vision of that. You might even know a couple of people like that. I'm not sure. The Sadducees disputed the main point of Peter's sermon, the point that Jesus is alive, that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and this is the main point of Christianity. This is the main point of Christianity. I love it when Frank sometimes will pray and will say something like, that tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. I love that because it's true. Go over to that tomb today and check. And it's still empty, folks. It is still empty. You go to any other religious leader, any other person who was large in religion, you find their tomb is still full. They're still there. But Christ's tomb is empty. And it's the central point of our Christian faith. Resurrection. We can't take that away. We can't leave that. And if Christ is arisen, and if he's in heaven, then he sent the Holy Spirit. But the Sadducees don't believe in spiritual They're non-spiritual entities. They don't believe in the spiritual world. So how could they believe this? According to the Jewish law, which this written law that the Pharisees had, it's called the Mishnah also, the judgments about money may be commenced in the day and they may be completed about night. In other words, if you have a problem with money and you go before the court, it can start one day and it can end the same time and it can end at night. But any judgments about life or death must be done in one day, and included in the same day, it couldn't be carried over, which brings me to the next verse. In verse 3, it says, and they laid hands on them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was evening. It was against their tradition to start the trial and hold it over till the next day. The trial had to start in one day and end the same day. So much for our weeks-long trials that we have around here, right? Trial had to start in one day and be done the next day. That's why they held them in custody and they didn't do anything else. 
But the beautiful thing about this, in the midst of all that was happening, in the midst of all this chaos, 2,000 people were saved. 2,000 people came into the kingdom. Look at verse 4. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of them came to about 5,000. Now, these are men. They believe it to be much more if you count wives and kids. Because only men were allowed in this part of the temple. Women and children were not allowed in that part of the temple. As we take an opportunity to share God's word with those at work, with those at school, with your neighbors, with your family members, those who are unbelievers, the Holy Spirit convicts hearts. He will pierce the hearts by God's grace. He will draw men to Jesus. Regardless of the opposition, the Lord will work mightily if we are faithful and obedient to him. And here we see Peter the apostles being faithful to the Lord and obedient to his word and teaching his word. They are going forth and making disciples. They are going forth and preaching the word of Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus Christ, preaching about the power in his name, and disciples are being made. People are being converted. People are repenting and coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing can stop that. Nothing. So I have to ask you the question today. Are there Pharisees and Sadducees among us? Do they exist today in our lives? I'm not talking about Israel. I'm not talking about the nation Israel. I'm talking about here in the Church of America, right here in our Church of America, in churches all over this land. Is there a clash going on between the materialistic and the spiritualist? Is there a clash going on against the legalist and the spirit of the law? See, the early church rejected legalism. They rejected it right away when the leaders of the early church once suggested that they need obedience to the Mosaic law as a foundation to belief in Christ. Peter stood up. Peter stood up in Acts 15.10, and he says this beautiful passage, Acts 15.10. Why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? He refutes legalism. Why do you say we have to do this, we have to do that, we have to do that, in order to be saved? It's by faith and faith alone. Sola fide, remember those words. There are Sadducees today who reject the Holy Spirit. There are Sadducees today who say that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. They do not believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I'm not just talking about leaders now. I'm talking about Christians, people who don't believe in the Holy Spirit, don't allow the Holy Spirit into their lives for whatever reasons. There are churches that have very rigid rules of conduct concerning dress, hair length, facial wear, wearing of suits, who created these rules? Man did. They're traditions. Pastor Chuck tells a great story of the early days of the Jesus movement when they were witnessing to the hippies. And he was pastoring Little Calvary Chapel, and they had just put all this brand new carpet down. And all these hippies were coming in. And, you know, in the day, back in the day in California, what the hippies looked like, long hair, they were all disheveled. They had dirty clothes. They didn't wear anything but sandals or no shoes at all. So their feet were disgustingly dirty and stuff like that. And they were coming in the church, and they were sitting around the church. And the board of directors of Calvary Chapel at that time said to Pastor Chuck, you can't let these hippies come in with their dirty feet. Look what they're doing to the carpet and stuff like that. Chuck looked at them and said, rip the carpet out. Take the carpet away. We can't go by the traditions of men. We can't go by these traditions. It gets so hung up and so tense in our traditions that we lose sight of what the Lord wants to do in our lives. We have liberals versus conservatives, believers versus non-believers. You have God's word against the depravity of man. The flesh and the spirit will always be at war, whether in our bodies or within the society. 
When you proclaim to be a Christian, when you proclaim to be a child of God, having the Holy Spirit, there's enemies out there who will always come against you. As I said, when we go back to Matthew 23, these rules still apply today. These are still, these are a true story. And when you look at these, they apply to all Christians, not just the Pharisees, not just the scribes, not just the Sadducees, not just the leaders. Listen to the woes that Jesus said. And he pronounced on these religious leaders. And I, I ask you, I challenge you, check your heart. Check your heart to see where you stand in any one of these things. And I've paraphrased them. But you can find these in Matthew 23. I'm going to paraphrase them. Jesus said of these Pharisees, they lay oppressive burdens on others. They place people under the law, which neither they nor we can keep. This is legalism. There are people who are legalistic these days. I'm not saying the law is not good. You're not hearing that from me. But when we read, got to be careful. We got to look at the spirit and we got to allow the spirit to lead. There is legalism in the, in the world today that says you must do this and this and this to be saved. You have to clean up this and clean up that. We got to be careful with that. It says they do the works to be seen of others and they live for the praise of men, not the praise of God. When you do something for the Lord, are you looking for the praise of, God, of men? Are you looking for someone to come up to you and go, Adam, good job, way to go? Or are you looking for the praise of God? What do you do things for? Why do you serve God? Why? He says, woe to those who shut up the kingdom. He's talking about people who decide who and who cannot have salvation. He's talking about people who go, you know what? I'm not going to witness them because you know what? I know they're not going to accept it. You know what? They're just, I just don't think they will. We decide. We're deciding who accepts salvation and who doesn't. They keep people from knowing the real and true God. Here's one. The religious leaders steal from the vulnerable. <laughs> Turn on TV. The religious leaders lead their converts on the wrong path. Again, turn on TV. There are many mega churches in the world today that are teaching a different gospel, a melted down, a watered down gospel. They do not teach about sin. They do not teach about repentance. They are mega churches and they are packed. They're leading people down the wrong path. And woe to them. Woe to them, Jesus says. They make false and deceptive oaths. They're obsessed with trivialities. They're ignoring the weighty matters. I like to say it, people major on the minor instead of majoring on the major. They were about these minor things in the Bible instead of the major thing, and that's salvation through Jesus Christ. They're impure both inside and out. And this is my favorite when Jesus calls them whitewashed sepulchers. They're whitewashed tombs. Now, tradition has it that on the day of the feast, they would go out to all the tombs and they would take whitewash and they would whitewash them. So they would look nice for the feast and for all the visitors that were coming in. Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, to these leaders, that you are these tombs. They look great on the outside, but inside is dead man bones. Inside is nothing. Inside is death and dead. That's what he's saying to them. Is that us? Are we that way? Religious leaders have an appearance of good but without spiritual life in the inner man. Religious leaders who are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Religious leaders who are not waiting on the Holy Spirit to guide them. Religious leaders, religious people who don't let the Holy Spirit into their lives. Religious leaders honor dead prophets and murder the living ones. We honor the dead ones, but if you're a prophet, we're going to kill you. We're going to stone you, but we're going to honor the ones that are dead. What was Jesus' way? Jesus served with humility. Jesus washed feet and said, go and do likewise. Jesus said, the first shall be last. Jesus said, the greatest will be the least. Jesus said, 
I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Opposite of all these things. It is sad commentary that religion and that the religious will usually respond negatively to any genuine work of God's Spirit. They will always respond it. It's always been that way and it probably always will. It's because religious people are not concerned about being born again. They're just concerned about keeping their traditions. They're concerned about keeping their religion. They're concerned about being religious. Because of this, religious people can't understand spiritual things very well. They think with the natural mind and not the spiritual mind. And when they do so, they can't grasp spiritual truths, spiritual thoughts. These people ignored the healing of the lame man. They ignored the message by Peter, and they ignored the response of this crowd. And by doing this, they ignored God. This is what religion does. It ultimately ignores God. I don't like to be called religious. It has a bad connotation to me. I don't practice religion. I practice relationship. I have a relationship with the one true God through his blessed son, Jesus Christ. And that is the only way that I am made in his image. That's the only way that I am made perfect. That's the only way that I'm made worthy to come before him. And even in my own fleshly state, there's no worthiness in me because God loves me so much and has given me his son. He's allowed me to come into this kingdom. So I say to you today, test your hearts. Maybe you have some pharisaical beliefs. Maybe you have some Sadducee beliefs. Maybe you're grieving the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been quenching the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Maybe you think it's time to stop playing religion and get serious. Maybe you think it's time to stop playing church and move into a a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe it's time to put away the old traditions that you've held on to and made more important than the Word of God and give the Word of God the priority of your life. It's time to stop being religious for religious sake. It's time to stop practicing religion. It's time for Jesus. It's time for Jesus. How do I get back? Maybe I'm in that place. I've been there. I've been there. I was just there this last week, one day or two. I was there. How do I come back? How do I get back, Lord? Peter told him in the sermon, repent. Repent and be converted. Repent so your sins would be blotted out. And you can come back into relationship. Come back to your first love. Settle things in your heart. Make it right with God. You don't have to make it right with me. Make it right with God. Because he's the one that knows. He's the one that knows your heart. He created you. He gave you the spirit of wisdom. He gave you the spirit of truth. Being truly born again means you have God's spirit dwelling within you. The very presence of God Almighty, we sang this morning, this is the air I breathe. When I breathe that air in, he's taking the same breath with me because he is within me. Mighty God, Jesus, his Holy Spirit is in me. Very presence. Make things right with God. Stop ignoring him. Stop ignoring him because of traditions, because of a mindset, and because of a religion. Don't let religion get in your way of God. You are the stories you've been hearing about Peter, Paul, Stephen, and the many other followers of Jesus are meant to inspire you and encourage you. These brave people lived long ago and had the privilege of seeing the gospel message spread from its point of origin, Jesus himself. Their testimony and diligence in spreading the good news of hope and new life 
changed hearts and saved countless people, and continues on even today through the writings in Acts and the rest of the New Testament. However, the lives you were studying weren't without trial. Each disciple of Jesus faced persecution in some form, yet it never swayed them to abandon their faith. What difficulties are you facing for Jesus now? Don't lose heart. Remember that you're sharing the truth and that the truth can set people free. You have the Savior of the world on your side, and He will stand with you through every trial and triumph. We're so glad you joined us for today's edition of Assure Hope as we continue to study the book of Acts with Pastor Dave Shank. If you'd like to listen to more teachings, we invite you to visit our website, assurehoperadio.com. Feel free to download and share Pastor Dave's teachings or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Are you in the Cape May area? If so, we want to meet you. Come join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. at Calvary Chapel, Cape May to learn more from the Word, sing praises to your Lord, and fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Find out more at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for joining us today on Assure Hope. Rescued us.